0: I ask you to pray uh, with me and also for me. Lord, thank you for coming as a missionary to save us. Thank you for choosing to be human and to take our cross. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds to understand the significance of this event and also the significance of the sacraments. And I pray as the preacher this morning that you would help me. Help me be clear, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just out of curiosity, how many actually stayed up till the end of that that game? (laughs) Well done getting to church. (laughs) I'm gonna try and be quick, because I know your attention span is reduced this morning. I went to bed at halftime. So, our series um, starting uh, with the Feast of the Epiphany, which is January 6th. Last week was a little different, because it was Vision Sunday. So, um, we didn't quite uh, have even the, the scripture graphic. Um, It's hard to see on the screen, but there are actually three camels with wise men sitting on them for the epiphany. And the subtext we put up there was Christ for the world. This is a season to recognize the mission of our God. We have a missionary God who left his home in heaven and came among us and came to save us. And he then conscripts us in, invites us in, to his mission to reach out to the world. So this, this season after Epiphany until Ash Wednesday, we'll have different themes related to mission. And today is a recognition of Jesus' baptism, his identification with the ones he came to save. So in, in the text, I'm gonna point out that Jesus gives us something and he takes something. And I'll come back to that. But let me give you the background. John the Baptist has been doing something that was somewhat unheard of and frankly was a bit offensive to his fellow jews he was using baptism on the jews when it was for the proselytes it was a rite that was done for gentiles that were converting to judaism they would be baptized like what john was doing and i don't know exactly what they were thinking but wash off all that gentile filth and now come and walk with us as a jew But for John to say to the Jews, you need to be baptized too. He was calling out specific personal sins of theirs. He was calling out national sins. And the Holy Spirit was bringing conviction that he was right. That it wasn't the Gentiles who were the sinners. It was everyone who's a sinner. And the Jews were then going out to be baptized by John. It was a large crowd that was out there in the wilderness being baptized. And that was the moment that Jesus recognized his timing. Jesus was very clear on the father's timing for his ministry. He was in obscurity for 30 years, and then when his cousin John went out and began to preach and prepare the way in the wilderness and the spirit was bringing conviction and crowds were going out there, then Jesus chose that moment, recognized that moment to go out and and start his public ministry, to become known as the one who's the Messiah. Now, he would kind of hide that from certain people and reveal it to other people. It was sort of a dance for 3 years so that his uh, death didn't come prematurely, but that was the moment Jesus went public. Now, John was calling out to these Jews, don't presume that Abraham as your father is going to save you. Just because you're born in the right nationality is not what saves you. And that, that word asks a question of us. And it's, it's, if you're a note taker, you'll notice our new uh, bulletins have a place on the back for notes if there's something the Lord would say to you this morning. If you want to write something down, This would be a good question to write down and even think about later. In what is my spiritual security? Or in whom is my spiritual security? It's a good question to think about because people place their security in lots of stuff. I've been a pastor of this church for a long time, and it surprises me occasionally that someone will say something to the effect of, well, I try to live by the golden rule. I'm basically a good person, so I think I'll I'll go to heaven when I die and I think, no, that's not the gospel. That means that you're placing your spiritual security in your behavior, in your adherence to the golden rule, to live and treat others the way you want to be treated. That has nothing to do with the gospel. So, it's helpful for us to take an inventory and say, what am I placing my trust in? So, think about that for a minute. Now, John was um, exposing all these sins and And Jesus comes out in this moment where all these people are coming and and repenting of their sins and being washed in the Jordan. And when he sees that Jesus, the Savior, is coming to him to be baptized, he immediately throws up an objection. No, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to be baptized by me? He recognized that Jesus is sinless. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and here he comes to be baptized John, didn't, he, he wanted to prevent him from doing it. But Jesus says, let us fulfill all righteousness. And that's kind of, a, it's kind of an odd phrase, and, and it's got deep theological meaning underneath it. We have to think about it a little bit. Let us fulfill all righteousness. The word fulfill, if you did a Bible word search and looked through the whole New Testament, almost every place that word occurs, it is referring to an Old Testament scripture That is coming to its completion or a prophecy that is happening. So, when Jesus is talking about fulfilling all righteousness, you could look backwards to the Old Testament and think about different prophecies of what the Messiah would be like, who the suffering servant is, what the kingdom of God is going to look like, what to expect. So, it's going to be something related to a fulfilling of the Old Testament Scripture, a completion of that. And then also fulfill all righteousness. The Greek word for righteousness is related to the word for justice or goodness, but not just human goodness, God's goodness. So I might say to fulfill all righteousness is to complete what is right by God's measure, so by God's holy standard, what he says is right versus wrong. And Jesus is walking in this righteousness. And John knows that, which is why he doesn't want to baptize him. Because Jesus is holy. This is the Holy One of God. He does not need to be baptized, except that he is fulfilling themes from the Old Testament. So the servant songs of Isaiah, I keep going back there because, well, one, they were written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And two, they tell us a lot about what his ministry was going to be. And three, John the Baptist was reading Isaiah, obviously, because when asked who he was, he quoted Isaiah and said, I'm the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. So the, servants, the first servant song, as they're called, is in chapter 42 of Isaiah. And keep, recognize the parallels here. Remember what the Father says when Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism, heavens are torn open in some way, a dove comes down, and a voice says, this is my son whom I love. I'm pleased with him. Here's what the servant song of Isaiah 42 says. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Righteousness and justice, related words. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice to the ends of the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people in it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. There's that word. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring up, I tell you of them. And then the next paragraph says, sing a new song for the Lord. He's doing a new thing. When this servant comes, which God says, I'm going to tell you this before it happens, when the servant comes, he's going to do a new thing. And it's interesting, this servant is going to be gentle, meek, mild. He's not coming in great might and glory, at least the first time. He's coming very, very gently, and he's coming to serve. So, this is, this is Jesus showing up on the scene. You know, I was thinking about our, our longing for heroes, I was thinking about the Marvel TV and movie series where um, there are superheroes among us that can save things. I was thinking about that TV show called Hero- Heroes from like 10 years ago. <clears throat> it was like a series. And otherwise ordinary people discover they have a superpower of some sort. You know, one can um, be invisible, one can fly, one can um, shoot fire out of his eyes. There's all, one, when, when she f- gets broken, she immediately regenerates and is healed. She can't die. These kind of things. And I was thinking about why, why we like them so much. And I think the reason is because we are ordinary people, and we wish we were extraordinary. I wish I had suddenly could discover a superpower that I have. But I, but I don't have any superpowers. I'm just ordinary like you. But we long to be more than that. We long to be the hero. But what we need is a hero to come for us. And that's what we find here in this suffering servant. He comes as one who is otherwise an ordinary human, except he's God in the flesh. He's fully human, and yet this is God walking on our earth, has come to save us, and has the ability to take the sins of the world upon himself, defeat Satan and death, and set up a whole new kingdom. He is the one true hero that we need. Now, what does jesus give he gives us baptism a new kind of baptism that's different than john's and what does he take he takes the cross which we deserve the wrath of god he takes our cross so he starts let's start with baptism and then we'll talk about the cross in baptism john the baptism john the baptist said the one who's mightier than i i can't even untie his sandals he's coming after me and he's going to give you a different kind of baptism i'm i'm giving you a baptism with water for repentance He's going to baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. It's going to be different. In fact, it's interesting in the New Testament when there are some people that were followers of uh, John the Baptist um, that were still floating around. Some of them had gone up to Ephesus. And Paul the Apostle, when he gets up there, he finds these disciples gathered and they had no idea there was a third person of the Trinity. They'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. And he says, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. See, they had a different kind of baptism. It was John's baptism. It was not the one that Jesus came and gave to his followers. This is a different kind of thing. In fact, the uh, apostle Peter... Um, so, uh, makes a makes a connection between the ark saving people through God's judgment, and he and he says in 1 Peter three, um, he says eight persons were brought safely through the water, baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what that's how baptism saves. It saves by faith in the resurrection. And and resurrection, of course, is picking up the whole thing, the cross, the life, the death, the resurrection, ascension. But what he's saying there is it's by faith, by an appeal to God for what Jesus has done. Now, this is a new kind of baptism. What's interesting, as a human, Jesus experienced everything we did. And there were moments of doubt, I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, we saw how he wrestled with how hard this was going to be. He needed the affirmation of his father at points. And I wonder, in that moment when he came up out of the water, I wonder if the voice from heaven was more for Jesus or more for us, or maybe both evenly. I don't know. But to hear his father say, this is my beloved son, I'm pleased with you, I love you, right after that, the spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And what does Satan do? All three times he says, if you are the Son of God, say to this stone, become bread. If you are the Son of If you are the Son of God. In other words, saying you're not really the Son of God. You're not really the Messiah. You're not really the anointed servant that's come. You're not the superhero everybody was hoping for. You're just Jesus, and you're going to fail too. But in fact, he didn't. The first Adam in a garden was tempted by that serpent and failed, and we fell with him. This second Adam, Christ, has come and actually defeated the temptations in the complete identity of, of who he was as the Son of God. Now, his baptism made helped him t- or made him identify with sinners. That's part of fulfilling all righteousness. He came to identify with everything about our brokenness, but was without sin. And then he's affirmed by the Father's love that he's the Son, that he belongs, and then the Spirit's power was manifested upon him. The spirit was obviously with Jesus all along, but we see a manifestation of it. My power is here with you. You know, our baptism, if you're a Christian, you've been baptized, it picks up similar things, except instead of identifying with sinful people in our baptism, we identify with the savior. We actually say I'm on his team. He's my savior. He's my Lord. I, I come under him, his power. Let his power carry me along. And we also hear the Father say, you are my son, you are my daughter, adopted, a co-heir with Christ. It's about belonging, about identity. You belong to this new family in this new kind of baptism. And then the Spirit's power, we pray for the Holy Spirit to be present at baptism and to empower us to live a new kind of life, to actually do what we can't do in our own strength because it is with God's help that we are being led to live a new kind of life. Now, so Jesus gives us this new baptism as a gift. But what does he take? Jesus takes the cross that we deserve. It's interesting that he doesn't seem to see his baptism as just when he's in the water with John. Because when a dialogue breaks out in Mark's gospel with um, James and John, they come up to him with a pretty arrogant request. Lord, when you come into your glory, we want to sit on your right and your left. We want to be your number one and number two most important people. Of course, it's a, it's a pretty arrogant request and the other disciples are not happy with this as neither would you or I be. And Jesus says something that's interesting. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, we are, Lord, which is kind of interesting too. They don't understand what he's talking about, but they're totally confident that they can do this. And then he does say, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I'm baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right and my left is not to be given to you. It's for others, who I think were actually the two thieves that were crucified on either side of him. But Jesus here is seeing his baptism as actually involving the cross, not just the water and the affirmation coming up out of the Jordan River. He's anointed in the Spirit for something, And he was anointed, that's what Christ or Messiah means, he was anointed to come and die. When you read the other servant songs, he's a suffering servant, not just one who's affirmed by God as a son, who's meek and mild, but one who has come to be pierced for our transgressions, one who is let out as a a sheep to be slaughtered. And this is what he's anointed for. And so, he carries that as kind of a low-level anxiety throughout his whole... um, public ministry and it coming to full-on prayers in the garden, sweating blood because of what he was about to do. That's a different kind of baptism than what James and John would experience. They, at least James dies for his faith. John is exiled but later, but Jesus alone can take the wrath of God on the cross for us. He died for your sins and for mine because he loves us. Now, it's always been the plan. This was never plan B. When God created us, He knew for Him to be able to have people that would choose to love Him and serve Him, He had to give us the freedom to fail, to rebel, which did happen, and then He would come to rescue. It wasn't like one day God woke up and went, oh, man, this didn't work. They were supposed to just hang out in the Garden of Eden, and they were supposed to kill the snake, and they didn't do it, and never was like that. God knew all along, and He loves us that much that He He created the thing. He went through the whole plan. Jesus died on the cross for our sins as plan A to build a people for himself who would repent of their sin, come to him, trust in him, and then by his spirit lead a new life. This assures us of God's great love. You and I matter to him that much that he's willing to go through that. This is indeed good news. So back to the question of what do I place my spiritual security in? If it's anything other than Christ, it doesn't measure up. He alone is worthy. So what's our application? Trust in Christ's cross above everything else. And cherish your baptism. Stand secure in God's affirming word that in Christ you belong, your sins are forgiven, you are are part of my family, I love you, you're a son or daughter of me. Now the last part is the call to strive to be like him by his spirit. B.E. pointed out to me at the 745 service that we have to be clear He gave us a cross too. He said, take up our cross. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. So we are called to put certain things to death. We're gonna renew our baptismal vows in a moment. And as we ask the questions, do you renounce the empty promises of this world? Pause for a second. Think about what empty promises this world is giving you that you're tempted to trust in. When you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh, what your own heart wants, Think about what they actually are. Don't say those out loud, but just think about them. What is the desire that my flesh has? If I'm going to reject God and just go the worldly way, what is it I'm going for? Take that thing, reject it, and say, nope, Jesus is what I want. I worship Jesus, not that thing. And cast it out. And be willing to take up your cross and follow him. Now I'm going to conclude by praying a colic that's actually from the Christmas season. I just like this colic so much because... What we see here is, is an exchange, right? Jesus, Jesus gave us baptism, but he gave us a new kind of baptism. He changed out John's baptism. He took the cross that we deserve and gave us a different cross. He, he, he wore our humanity fully human in all its humility, and then he invites us to become like him. So there's an exchange of humanity and divinity. So I really like this prayer, and let's pray, and I'll conclude with this. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share in the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity. Your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.